Welcome to this week's episode of Fan Fatales. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby. And this week we're going to be discussing Disney Animation Studios history, as well as some thoughts on their earlier films. And as we discuss history, we're also going to be discussing some earlier um, animation techniques. That's right. So buckle up because this is going to be a long one. We oh, have like, yeah. what, 10 pages of 10 notes? pages? Yeah, it's long. Yeah. So, let, what... Let's try this again. Sorry, Kara. We forgot to record the Zoom. Let's do it again. <laughs> Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Fan Fatales. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby. And this week we're going to be discussing Disney Animation Studios history, as well as some thoughts on earlier films. And while we discuss history, we're also going to be discussing some early animation techniques. That's right. So buckle up because this is going to be a long one. We have, what, 10 pages of notes? Yeah, it's enormous. <laughs> so we should definitely get started. Of course. Yeah, let's get started. So, please keep your arms, hands, legs, and feet inside the car at all times. We're in for a long ride. (laughs) Yes, seriously, there is more than double the amount of history here as compared to our Pixar episode. Yes, it's a story of romance, passion, and a murder most foul. I'm just kidding. But if you can name that reference that's not Disney, I will be very impressed. (laughs) Leave it in the comments. Let me know if you know what that's from. Because I love that movie. (laughs) Same. Well, let's get started. Yeah. So, um, Walt Disney and Roy O. Disney, it's important that we distinguish between Roy O. and the other one. Yes. Um, But Roy O. Disney founded um, Disney Brothers Cartoon Studios in Los Angeles in 1923. And they got their start in producing a series of Alice comedies. Um, They were short films featuring a live-action child actress in an animated world. So it was of the Alice stories. Yep. And then they started producing Oswald the Lucky Rabbit through Universal Pictures in 1927. In 1925, Disney put down a deposit on a new location at 2719 Hyperion Avenue in the nearby Silver Lake neighborhood, which came to be known as a Hyperion Studio to distinguish it from the the studio's other locations. And in January 1926, the studio moved there and took on the name of Walt Disney Studios. Yep. And after the first year of Oswald shorts, Charles Mintz took over Winkler Productions, who Disney had been working with on the Oswald shorts. And Mintz wanted the Disney brothers to take a lower payment for each Oswald short. Disney refused. And... um, Because Universal owned the rights to Oswald instead of Disney, Mintz set up his own animation studio to produce Oswald cartoons. Now, most of Disney's staff was hired away by Mintz to move over once once Disney's Oswald contract expired in mid-1928. I think, if I'm not mistaken, they got their rights back to Oswald probably in the late 90s yeah i think so it's whenever what was it the epic universe or whatever the game was do you remember Mm -hmm. that game yeah yeah it was right around that time i owned it epic mickey okay so then it was that's the name of it it was a little bit later so it was probably like mid 2000s yeah epic universe is universal studio orlando's newest park that they're working on that's what i got confused on very nice. Yeah, yes. it was a uh, yeah. 
So anyway, anyway, on. Disney and his head animator, uh, it works, I works, I works, it works. I think it's it works. Okay, led a small handful of loyal staffers in producing cartoons starring a new character named Mickey Mouse. The first. Dun, da, da, da. Da, da, da. Well, it was going to be Mortimer, but then it was. Lily Disney, right? That's her name? Well, I Disney's so, yeah. wife. She was saying, no, Mickey sounds better than Mortimer. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Same. Mickey is a, little, is a lot more timeless than Mortimer. I feel like that's very yeah. dated. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the first two Mickey cartoons were Plain Crazy and The Galloping Gacho. Gacho? Gaucho. Gaucho. Yeah. Were um, previewed in limited engagements in 1928. For the third Mickey cartoon, Disney collaborated with Carl Stalling and Pat Powers to obtain a bootlegged Cinephone. Cinephone? Cinephone, yeah. yeah. You're right. Okay. Which made the sound on film process happen. Yeah, so this resulted in Steamboat Willie, which was the first Disney cartoon with synchronized sound. Yes, and... Which also is a big da-da-da-da moment. Yes, because, yeah, like, they still use it in every, like, beginning mm-hmm. thing. I love yep. how I went. Yep, that's exactly what <laughs> For the audio listeners, I, like, moved my arm, like, Steamboat Willie. Which, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but it made its debut in 1928 at the uh, West 57th Theater in New York City. The Mickey Mouse sound cartoons were distributed through Powers Productions and quickly became the most popular cartoons in the United States. After the success of Mickey sound cartoons, they then started to produce Silly Symphony cartoons, starting with the Skeleton Dance in 1929. And let me tell you, it's so weird. I was watching it the other day when I was doing all this research, and I was like, this is bizarre. This is so they, I know. Weird. They show it um, on Cinderella's Castle during the Halloween fireworks. It's part I'm of sure. the Halloween fireworks show. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it's a part of the Spooky Scary Skeletons video. Like, the remix. Yeah, it is. I'm pretty sure it's in there. I'm, and it's yeah. so weird. Just weird. It's bizarre. Yes. <laughs> In 1929, disputes over um, finances between Disney and Powers led to Disney Studios reincorporated on December 16, 1929 as Walt Disney Productions, signing a new distribution contract with Columbia Pictures. Yeah, and in return, Powers signed away Ub Uwerks, who uh, began producing cartoons at his own studio, although he would return to Disney in 1940. Columbia distributed Disney shorts for two years before the Disney studio entered a new distribution deal with United Artists in 1932. The same year, Disney signed a two-year exclusive deal with Technicolor to utilize its new three-strip color film process. Yeah, and the three-strip color film process allowed for fuller color reproduction, whereas previous color film processors couldn't. So the result was the Silly Symphony Flowers and Trees, which was the first film commercially released in full Technicolor. And from then on, all Silly Symphonies were produced in Technicolor. Have you watched any of the Silly Symphonies? I've seen a few, and they're all pretty bizarre to me. It's like Fantasia levels of bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can tell they're dated. Like, they're very dated. Yeah. Um, but yeah... 
1934, Walt Disney gathered several key staff members and announced his plans to make his first animated feature film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yeah, and he did this even though, like, tons of people in the business thought he would be, like, a total failure and thought, like, this was the end, Disney's done. Which, like, that totally was not the case. No, Snow White started a whole franchise of princesses to come. Exactly. Let alone and a it whole was the company. <laughs> oh, totally. And it was the first animated feature-length film in English and in Technicolor. Silly symphonies such as The Goddess of Spring, 1934, and The Old Mill, 1937, served as experimentation grounds for new techniques such as the animation of realistic human figures, special effects animation, and the use of the multi-plane camera, an invention that split animation artwork layers into several planes, allowing the camera to appear to move dimensionally through an animated scene. Yeah, and... Now, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs cost Disney a then-expensive sum of $1.4 million to complete. I mean, $1.4 million is still a lot of money. But in terms of, like, production, that's, like, nothing. No. Um, including $100,000 on story development alone. And it was an unprecedented success when released in February of 1938. It was briefly the highest-grossing film of all time before the unprecedented success of Gone with the Wind two years later, grossing over $8 million on its initial release. This was Snow White grossed over $8 million on its initial release, which is the equivalent of $148,842,286 today. Jeez. Yeah. Which still would not be the highest grossing movie. No. Wait, isn't it Endgame now? I think so. Yeah. I know it beat out Avatar, so. Yeah. But still, that's still a lot of money. I know. $148 million. But anyway. um, In Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Disney was like, he was adamant that they were going to use minimal rotoscoping. And rotoscoping is when they take live action film and they like trace animation over it. So like they take the film and they just like draw what they're doing in the film as stills. And then they use those as animation. Um, And he was like, we are not going to use rotoscoping. That's cheating. No. But later on, they actually needed to save money in films like um, Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland And so they actually did end up using quite a bit in those films just because they were losing so much money. Yeah. And we'll get get into why later. (laughs) The success of Snow White allowed Disney to build a new, larger studio on Buena Vista Street in Burbank, where the Walt Disney Company remains headquartered today. Um, Walt Disney Productions had its initial public offering on April 2nd, 1940, with Walt Disney as president and chairman and Roy Disney as CEO. Yes, and they launched into the production of Pinocchio 1940, which was not initially a box office success and lost $1 million in the box office? Yeah, in the box office. Like, they didn't even break even on the production cost. That sounds terrible. Yeah. So the next film was Fantasia, and Fantasia was way different from the other two films because it was originally like a road show, like it was touring like a theater would, like a live show would, Um, or like like a symphony, right? Yeah. Which is kind of the goal. Um, It cost $2 million to make, and it earned back $1.4 million. Because it didn't break even. 
Exactly. And RKO assumed distribution of Fantasia in 1941, later reissuing it in a severely edited version over the years. Dumbo was next, and the animator's strike of 1941 was during this production of this film. However, Dumbo was still released come October of 1941, and it proved to be a financial success. It cost the company $950,000 to make, and it grossed $1.6 million. Dumbo and yeah. Snow White are the only films uh, from this first release of five to turn a profit. Yeah, so that includes, so that's going to be Snow White, Dumbo, or sorry, Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, and Bambi. Snow White and Dumbo are the only two wow. that actually turned a profit. Yeah, and it was one of the first projects spearheaded by the nine old men of Disney. Oh, yes. Yes, which are, who are, or were, I don't know how many of them are still alive. I think one, I think the last one just died recently. <laughs> I can fact check um, this while you say that. Yeah, names. we're going to fact check this. So, which are Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnston, Wooly Ritherman, Les Clark, Ward Kimball, Eric Larson, John Lousenberry, Milt Call, and Mark Davis. Um, so, they had worked on previous features, but Dumbo was like where they started to be in more senior roles. So, they were like animators before, but now they became part of the story process. So. Where are we on that fact check? <laughs> oh, I looked it up. It was Ollie Johnston. Okay. He was the last one. And I'm pretty sure he worked on films as early as, like, The Little Mermaid. I know Frank and Ollie worked together. They have a documentary on Disney+. Plus That was actually, like, my least favorite of the documentaries to watch of the Disney Plus ones. But, like, it, it was still interesting. But they worked a lot together. Frank and Ollie did. So... The last one to pass away was Ollie Johnston, and his last film was The Fox and the Hound, okay. which was, like, not too far, like, not too long ago. I know. Yeah. So, um, do-do-do. Bambi was released in August of 42, and like Pinocchio and Fantasia, it was a box office bust, bringing in $1.6 million in the $1.7 million production. Walt Disney and several studio employees were sent by the U.S. government on a good neighbor policy trip to Central and South America amidst the um, animator strike. This is when they created the shorts that made up Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros. Yes. After Bambi's failure at the box office, the studio was put on hold when it came to feature-length films due to the lack of... due to the lack on an international market as the United States entered into World War II. The studio's financiers at Bank of America would only loan the studio working capital if it temporarily restricted itself to short production. And after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the studio housed over 500 soldiers and was commissioned by the military to make live-action and animated wartime films to promote patriotism and to convince people to sign up for the draft. Yeah, I've watched a couple of them. They're kind of wild. Yeah, most of them were starring Donald Duck because he became, like, one of the most popular of the Fab Five for a long time. The one that's circling in my mind is the one where it's the crazy um, Nazi dream that he has. Yes, that's the exact one I was thinking of, too! (laughs) I had to watch it in my, like, AP U.S. history class. Same! (laughs) I love that. Yeah. 
Yeah, but between 1942 and 1943, over 95% of the studio was working for the U.S. military, while the other 5% were um, working on Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros and then um, all the package films, which were all a bunch of shorts smashed together. Okay. And the package films were Make Mind Music, 1946, Fun and Fancy Free, 1947, Melody Time, 1948, and Ichabod and Mr. Toad in 1949. Yeah. And um, let me tell you, they're very hard to get through. I just watched all of them for, um, I'm listening to a podcast where we listen to, where we watch every Disney animated film in order, and then like we listen to the podcast. Um, It's very rough. Yes. (laughs) They are very tough to get through, especially when you're watching them just like in a row. Yes, and at this time, the studio also produced two live-action films that featured animation, which were Song of the South in 1946 and So Dear to My Heart in 1948. Yeah, and I've never even heard of So Dear to My Heart. I was just about to say that, honestly. Yeah, and like, you can't find it anywhere. Yeah, of course I've heard of Song of the South. I mean, Splash Mountain and everything that's gone out with that alone. Exactly, yeah. But, like, this other one is just, like, fallen into obscurity. I've never heard yeah. of it. I have no idea where to find it. I don't even know if you can even watch it anymore. I have no idea. It's just, like, yeah. poof, gone. Same with, actually, um, Make My Music. I couldn't find that one anywhere. I've seen that one. I I know there's, like, a DVD and, like, a VHS, but it's not on Disney+. Plus. Rude. And that was annoying. And I didn't want to pay, like, $15 to buy it on Amazon. Yeah. So, so that heart? that was really annoying. But like Nope, when I type in I, so dear to my heart on Disney Plus, the first thing I get is that's so Raven. Yeah, see, it's just like gone. But in addition, Disney began reissuing the previous features, beginning with the re-release of Snow White in 1944, Pinocchio in 45, and Fantasia in 46. This led to the tradition of reissuing Disney films every seven years, which lasted into the 1990s before being translated into the studio's handling of home video releases. So this was this is where we get the Disney Vault from? Yeah, You're, this oh. is what the Disney Vault is. Okay. Wow, yeah, that's crazy. Because, yeah, these were films that, like, in the, until the 90s, they did not release. None of, they didn't release no. any films onto video, like, home video systems. Yeah. Um, I mean, I knew there were places, I know that there were places, and I've heard stories about places where you could get them, like, unofficially and, like, bootlegged and, like, not legally. In 1948, Disney returned to the production of full-length features with Cinderella. Upon its release in 1950, Cinderella proved to be a box office success, with the profits from the film's release allowing Disney to carry on producing animated features throughout the 1950s. Yeah, then they produced Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, and Lady and the Tramp. And to keep costs down for Alice and Peter Pan, there was a lot of rotoscoping used in these films, as I had mentioned earlier, because the studio was broke. They had no money, because all of the wartime films, they they only had a certain amount of money that the government gave them, and then that was it. Once it was gone, it was gone. So they really needed the... the, like, success of Cinderella to push them through. And we see this happen a few times, actually. Yeah. (laughs) This is not the first time 
and it's not the last time this is going to happen. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking of, um, I don't know if you've seen the princess rap battles. It's like Yes, rap- I have. So they have one with Cinderella, I think it's against Belle, and mm-hmm. she mentions, like, these little slippers saved the studio when Walt was out of money. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. They had no money. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Belle, because it was, like, a strong princess versus... A traditional yeah, the princess. traditional. Yeah. I didn't know what yeah. other word to use. But yeah, yeah then they so. also did Snow White and Elsa. I've seen that one yeah. too. Yeah. That one's fun. But in 1955, Lady and the Tramp was released to higher box office success than any other Disney animated feature since Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, earning an estimated $6.5 million in uh, rentals at the North American box office in 1955. Wow. This was also... The first Disney animated feature to be released by Disney's own distribution company, Buena Vista Distribution. Yes. Yeah, so if you watch Peter Pan and then you go watch Lady and the Tramp, you'll notice Peter Pan has RKO pictures and then Lady and the Tramp says Buena Vista Distribution. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. The things you learn while watching all of the Disney films in order. It's very interesting, let me tell you. Maybe I should start that. It's hard. Yeah. So by the mid-1950s, with Walt Disney's attention primarily set on new endeavors such as live-action films, television, and the Disneyland theme park, animated film production was left to the nine old men. Yeah. And this led to several delays in approvals during the production of Sleeping Beauty, which was finally released in 1959 at $6 million dollars which was Disney's most expensive film to date. Yes. Now, although the price tag was high and it was the highest grossing film since Snow White, it still resulted in a loss of money due to the $6 million production cost, which also meant that Disney reported its first annual loss in a decade and layoffs were in order. Big sad. Yeah. No more money. <laughs> In 1961, the studio released 101 Dalmatians, an animated feature that popularized the use of xerography, a process of dry copying, during the process of inking and painting traditional animation cells. So this is how they were able to make all of the 101 Dalmatians. They didn't actually draw 101 Dalmatians, they just copied them, because xerography is an elongation of the word Xerox, and if you know what a Xerox is... Which a lot of people actually don't know what a Xerox is anymore. Oh my gosh. But you know, like a Xerox yeah. copier. So that's, that's where that came from. It's, it's, it's a copier. And so yeah, it eliminated the process of needing an inker. So that's a bunch of people that lost their jobs, unfortunately. But it also made the animation process way faster and a lot easier and way more consistent and efficient. Yes, and the resulting art style, a scratcher line which revealed the construction lines in the animator's drawings, typified Disney films into the 1980s. 101 Dalmatians was a success and grossed $6.4 million. Then The Sword in the Stone was released in 1963 and was the sixth highest grossing film of the year in North America with estimated rentals of $4.75 million. Walt Disney died in December of 1966, ten months before the studio's next film, The Jungle Book, was completed and released. 
Which, yes, but we know yeah. we know his his head is somewhere in a freezer. That's not the <laughs> in joke the vault. I was gonna make I was gonna make a once oh. upon a time reference because oh. so they have like the author that like is writing the storybook, mm-hmm. and in one of the flashbacks before we get the new author, it's December nineteen sixty six, and they just and they were talking about how the most recent author has just passed. Oh, that's cute. So they made a reference to Walt Disney because a lot of the tales that they took from, I mean, of course, they're the Grimm's tales, but they were specifically like the Disney the version. Disney ones. Yeah, that's a lot nicer than mine. <laughs> mine is like the lore that his head is hidden in the vault in a freezer. So that way they can upload his brain into a computer one day. Ooh. I'm awful. Moving on. Following Walt <laughs> Disney's death, Wolfgang Ritherman continued as both producer and director of the features. Yes, and the studio began uh, the 1970s with the release of the Aristocats. As you can see, I'm wearing my Marie dress today. I'm really loving her today. Loving Marie. I love Marie. I love the Aristocats. That's my sister's um, favorite character is Marie. Or at least it oh. was when she was younger. Yeah, because she's fantastic. Well, like, in all of Disney, that was her favorite character. Yeah, because she's fantastic. Yes. I believe it. Um, the Aristocats was the last film project that was approved by Walt Disney himself. And in 1971, Roy O. Disney, studio co-founder, died. And Walt Disney Productions was left in the hands of Don Tatum and Card Walker, who alternated as chairman and CEO over in overlapping terms until 1978. So it's going to be a little while till we see another Disney uh, family member take a yes. uh, step up in the company. The next feature, Robin Hood, 1973, was produced with a significantly reduced budget and animation repurposed from previous features. Both The Aristocats and Robin Hood were minor box office and critical successes. Yeah. And the fun thing is there's actually clips from The Aristocats in Robin Hood. Yeah. Yeah, and Snow White, and... And Jungle Book. I think that's it. Yeah, Jungle Book. Thank because you. it's the dance between Baloo and King Louie. And it's... the Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's Maid Marian and someone else. Isn't it the chicken? It's probably the chicken. I think it's the chicken. I don't remember her name. I just remember it's the chicken. I was going to say the hen, so we were both, like, bird. <laughs> Same same vibe. The Rescuers, released in 1977, was a success exceeding the um, achievements of the previous two Disney features. The production of The Rescuers signaled the beginning of changing of the guard process and the personnel at Disney Animation Studios. Um, as veterans such as Milt Call and Les Clark retired, they were gradually replaced by new talents such as Don Bluth, Ron Clements, John Musker, and Glenn Kane. Um, the new animators who were pulled from the animation program at Cal-, Cal Arts, which was started by Disney, and were trained by Eric Larson, Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnston, and Wooly Ritherman. Um, they got their first chance to prove themselves as a group with the animated sequence in Disney's live-action-slash-animated hybrid feature Pete's Dragon, which was in 1977, um, the animation for which was directed by Bluth. Now, Bluth and um, several of the other new guard animators quit to start their own studio, Don Bluth Productions, which became Disney's chief competitor in the animation field during the 80s. Yes. Delayed half a year by the defection of the Bluth group, The Fox and the Hound was released in 1981 after four years in production. The film was considered a financial success to the studio. 
The Black Cauldron was intended to expand the appeal of Disney animated films to older audiences and to showcase the talents of the newer generation of Disney animators from Cal Arts. Besides Kane, Musker, and Clements, this new group of artists included other promising animators such as Andreas Deja, Mike Gabriel, John Lasseter, who's a name you may recognize. Yes, from um, Brad the Bird. episode. Yep, Brad Bird, and also Tim Burton. Which did not know he was an animator first. I didn't know that either. Lasseter was fired from Disney in 1983 for pushing the studio to explore computer animation um, production. He then went to become the head of Pixar. Ironic, isn't it? Yep. Similarly, Burton was fired in 1984 after producing a live-action short shelved by the studio Frankenweenie, then went on to become a high-profile producer and director of live-action and stop-motion for features for Disney and other studios, such as The Nightmare Before Christmas, if we're talking Disney. Also ironic, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. Ron Miller, Walt Disney's son-in-law, became president of Walt Disney Productions in 1980 and CEO in 1983. Yes, and that year he expanded the company's film and television production divisions, creating the Walt Disney Pictures banner under which feature films from the uh, feature animation department would be released. After a series of corporate takeover attempts in 1984, Roy E. Disney re-signed from the company's board of directors and launched a campaign called Save Disney, successfully convincing the board to fire Miller. Roy E. Disney brought in Michael Eisner as Disney's new CEO and Frank Wells as president. Near completion when the Eisner regime took over Disney, the Black Cauldron 1985 came to represent what would later be referred to as the rock bottom point for Disney animations. Black Cauldron was the studio's most expensive feature till that point, which was $44 million, and it was a critical and commercial failure. So critics hated it, the audiences hated it, the film was uh, earned $21 million at box office gross, gross sales, um, and that led to a huge loss uh, to the studio putting the future of animation the animation division in jeopardy you know i don't think i've seen black cauldron i don't i haven't either but it's on the list i gotta watch it at some point as new ceo michael eisner strongly considered shutting the feature animation studio and outsourcing future animation roy e disney intervened offering to head the future animation division and turn its fortunes around Yes, and then on February 6, 1986, Disney executives moved the animation division from the Disney Studio lot in Burbank to a variety of warehouses, hangars, and trailers located about two miles east in Glendale. The animation division's first feature animation at its new location was The Great Mouse Detective in 1986, and this film was enough of a critical and commercial success to instill executive confidence in the animation studio. Yep. Katzenberg, um, Schneider, and Roy Disney set about changing the culture of the studio, increasing staffing and um, production so that a new animated feature would be released every year instead of every two to four. 
The feature, the first of the releases on the accelerated production schedule was Oliver and Company, 1988, which is inspired by Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. Yeah. And at the same time in 1988, Disney started entering into Australia's long-standing animation industry by purchasing Hanna-Barbera's Australian studio to start Disney Animation Australia. Yep. While Oliver and Company and The Little Mermaid were in production, a team of Disney animators were sent to London to work on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Which, there's a movie called, or there's a TV show, a Disney Plus original called Prop Culture, Mm -hmm. And they talk about Who Frames Roger Rabbit and how they, like, made all the animated stuff work in it. And it's really good. Yeah, I'm sure that would be very interesting to watch. And it shows, like, some of their, like, props. Like, the wall that, you know, like, when Roger Rabbit breaks through the wall? They show how they did that effect. That's really cool. Okay. It's definitely definitely a good watch. They have that for Pirates of the Caribbean. The Narnia movies, which... You know Emma loves. (laughs) I love. And they brought back three of the four kids to oh, see nice. like their costumes that they first wore in the movie. I saw that actually. Now, I did see that clip. Yeah, yeah, I did see that clip. Yeah. So a second satellite studio, Walt Disney Feature Animation Florida, opened up in 1989 with 40 employees. Its offices were located within the Disney then MGM Studios, now Hollywood Studios. Okay, it was park. really weird seeing MGM. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, then MGM Studios, now Hollywood Studios, theme park at Walt Disney World in Bay Lake, Florida, and visitors were allowed to tour the studio and observe animators at work. Yep, and my dad actually worked as part of the opening cast members of uh, MGM Studios at the time, mm-hmm. so he was telling me about how they used to do the tours there, because they did the backstage studio tours, and you would drive by like where all the animators were working. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty neat. He worked on the backstage studio tours, yeah, which are no longer those in are existence. Very interesting, sadly. But hey, we have Star Wars now. Yeah, so it's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. That same year, the studio released The Little Mermaid, which became a keystone achievement in Disney's history as its largest critical and commercial success in decades. Ariel earned $84 million at the North American box office, a new record for the studio. The film was also set, um, also the first to feature the use of Disney's computer animation program system, CAPS, developed for Disney by Pixar. And The Little Mermaid was the first of a series of blockbusters that would be released over the next decade by Walt Disney Feature Animation, a period later designated by the term Disney Renaissance. Yay. So we're getting into the the resurgence of good movies again, and not just, like, obscure movies that nobody's, like, everybody's, yes. like, what is that movie? I've never even seen it. And can we talk about how we almost didn't get the absolute amazing song that is part of your world? Right? Almost didn't. Because it almost wasn't a success in test audiences. Yep, but they fought to keep it in anyway. Alan Minkin fought to keep it in. He's like, no, Ariel needs an I Want song. All of my musicals have it. Yep. (laughs) So then in 1990, The Rescuers Down Under came out, and that was um, Disney's first animated feature sequel and the studio's first film to be fully colored and and composited via computer using the Caps ink and paint system. It was not as successful as The Little Mermaid, but still quite successful yes 
And the next Disney animated feature, Beauty and the Beast, My Girl <laughs> Belle, had begun pr- um, production in London, but was moved back to Burbank after Disney decided to shut the London satellite office and retool the film into a musical comedy format similar to The Little Mermaid. Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, uh, who wrote the music for The Little Mermaid, were retained to write the songs and score, although Ashman died before production was completed. Um, The film, Beauty and the Beast, earned $145 million, shattering the record of The Little Mermaid. Yep. And then Aladdin was released in November of 1992, and this continued the upward trend in Disney's animation success, earning $504 million worldwide at the box office. Then, in June of 1994, Disney released The Lion King, and The Lion King earned $768 million at the worldwide box office. To this date, this, is, this set a record for a traditionally animated film. Yeah, between these in-house productions, Disney diversified in animation methods and produced The Nightmare Before Christmas with former Disney animator Tim Burton. With animation becoming, again, an increasingly important and lucrative part of the Disney business, the company began to expand its operations. The flagship California studio was split into two units and expanded. The Florida Satellite, officially incorporated in 1992, was expanded as well, and one of Disney's television animation studios in Paris, France, suburb of Montreal, the former Brizzy Brothers studio became Walt Disney Feature Animation Par- uh, Paris, where a goofy movie, 1995, and significantly parts, and significant parts of later Disney films were produced. Yes, and then in 1995, Disney started its collaboration with Pixar. And if you don't know that story, go check out our Pixar episode, yes. which will be linked below in our YouTube page. Will be previous episodes if you're just listening. Yes. Um, so y'all know that story. We know that story. So, whew, it's a doozy. Yes. But then concerns arose internally at the Disney studio, particularly from Roy E. Disney, about studio chief Jeffrey Katzenberg taking too much credit for the success of Disney's early 1990 releases. Disney company president Frank Wells was killed in a helicopter accident in 1994, and Katzenberg lobbied CEO Michael Eisner for the vacant president position. Instead, tensions between... Katzenberg, Eisner, and Disney resulted in Katzenberg being forced to resign from the company on August 24th of that year, and Joe Roth took his place. Yes, and a really good documentary to watch if you want to learn more about this whole, um, what shall we say, like, discomfort in the Disney studios between the three of them. Um, a really great podcast, or not podcast, but documentary to um, watch is... Waking Sleeping Beauty, something Sleeping Beauty. It's on Disney+. Yes, Plus. it's Waking, Sleeping, Waking Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. It is so interesting to hear about it because they show all of his um, press tours compared to like everyone stressed in the studio. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Pocahontas, released in the summer of 1995, was the first film of the Re- Renaissance to receive mixed reviews from critics but was still popular with audiences and commercially successful, earning $346 million worldwide in the, um, in the box office. And actually, yep. funny enough, Disney animators did not want to work on Lion King because they thought Pocahontas would be the big success out of the two. Yep. 
So they sent the, the babies to work on Lion King while they all worked on Pocahontas. And Lion King ended up being the bigger being success. so famous, yeah. <laughs> By a long shot. There's a Broadway musical that, what, hasn't shut down? Has it shut yeah. down? No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't closed since the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. But in the next film, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, in 1996, this was par- partially produced at the Paris studio, and although it's considered Disney's darkest film, The Hunchback of Notre Dame performed better critically than Pocahontas and grossed $3.25 million worldwide. I love that movie. Another movie I love. The following summer, Hercules 1997 underperformed at the box office, grossing $252 million worldwide. Yes. And then with the decline of success in the late 90s, Disney's overhead was starting to get too large for them to carry, so they hired a large number of creative execs, which the animators were none too happy about. Yes. Mulan 1998 the first film produced primarily at the Florida studio, which I did not know that. Me neither. Because I only know of it being, like, the, the films that ended up shutting down the studio. Because the Florida studio doesn't exist anymore. Nope. Be- so I think of it like Brother Bear and, like, other, like, box office failures. I don't think of Mulan who, for those of you who do not know, opened to positive reviews from audiences and critics and earned a successful 350... Uh, $305. $305 million at the worldwide box office, restoring both the critical and commercial success of the studio. Yes. The next film, Tarzan 1999, had a high production cost of $130 million, again received positive reviews, and earned $448 million at the box office. Phil Collins's fire soundtrack resulted in a huge increase of soundtrack sales for the company. Yep. I just had to throw in that that soundtrack is fire. I love the soundtrack. It's so good. It's... It didn't have to be that good. No. It was so good. Wow. And all this is happening before, like, we are even born. Yup. Like, at the end of this page, we get to 2001. Yep. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot that happened in 2000. 2000 was like a big old... Yes. So to start with 2000, Fantasia 2000, a sequel to the 1940 film, premiered on December 17, 1999 at Carnegie Hall in New York City. As part of a concert tour that also visited London, Paris, Tokyo, and Pasadena, California, the film was then released in 75 IMAX theaters worldwide from January 1st to April 30th, 2000, making it the first animated feature-length film to be released in the format. It also had a traditional release in June of 2000. The film resulted in a $100 million loss for the studio. Yep, just like the original Fantasia. Who thought redoing it was a good idea? I don't know. (laughs) Whoever thought that was just, like, not thinking. Also, I said Brother Bear, I definitely meant Home on the Range when I was talking about the photo studio. That's okay. But, like, okay, they said, oh, yeah, the original Fantasia lost money. Let's make another one, and that's sure to do better. Like, come on, you guys. Yes. (laughs) So, in October of 1999, going back just a smidge, DreamQuest Images was merged with the computer graphics operation of Walt Disney Feature Animation to form a division called The Secret Lab. The Secret Lab produced one feature film, 
That's It, which was Dinosaur, which was released in May of 2000, and then it was closed in 2001. Wow. Yeah, it lasted, like, not even three whole years, and it was just like, nope, done. Okay, close. In December 2000, The Emperor's New Groove was released. It had been a musical epic called Kingdom of the Sun. What? Mm-hmm. Before being- Have you seen the documentary about no. this? No. Oh, yeah, it's really interesting. They talk about how it was, like, supposed to be, like, a fantasy musical like Little Mermaid, Belle, like, all of those traditional stories, and then they were like, no. you know what? Let's scrap everything and oh, make it different. <laughs> yeah. Originally, Pacha was supposed to be the um, antagonist of the film. Interesting. Yeah. Well, no. Sorry. No, I take that back. Pacha was the protagonist of the film, and Yzma was, like, a traditional villain, and she had, like, she sang. There's songs on the internet that you can Yo, find. Of, we need this. Yeah. Can, can... There are songs on the internet that you can find of her singing her songs. Wow. There's, like, five or six of them, and I'm pretty sure Phil Collins wrote those, too. I could be wrong, but, but anyway, I think anyway, the musical <laughs> epic, um, Kingdom of the Sun, was revised mid-production into a smaller comedy, which ended up being The Emperor's New Groove. Emperor's New Groove. Which I always thought it was based on um, The Emperor's New Clothes, that, like, little short story, and not The Kingdom of the Sun. No! I don't know why I always thought that. I mean, it's similar. Yeah. It's very similar. It's very similar. Very cocky emperors who learn a lesson. Yep. So then in 2001, one of my faves, one of my diehards, Atlantis the Lost Empire... Um, was an attempt to break the Disney formula by moving into an action-adventure, and it received mixed reviews and earned $186 million worldwide against production costs of $120 million. So it didn't cost too much, they didn't make too much either, but, you know, at least they turned a profit. Yeah. In March 2002, Disney laid off most of the employees at the feature animation studio in Burbank, downsizing it to one unit and beginning plans to move into fully computer-animated films. Because computer animated films were outperforming traditionally animated films, the Paris studio was also closed in 2003. At this time, DreamWorks was making Shrek. So, mm-hmm. like, th- and that is a very popular computer animated film to this day. Yeah. And this is the point where, you know, they start seeing in the parades and the IP in Disneyland is turning to a lot of Pixar characters. This is when the IP of, like, the hand-drawn characters and, like, the new movies aren't really coming out in parks because they're not really that popular. Because we got movies that are, like, remaining hand-drawn productions like Treasure Planet and Home on the Range, which continued production and were both financially unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. Um, Treasure Planet was financially unsuccessful upon its November 2002 release, resulting in a $74 write-down for the Walt Disney Company in the fiscal year of 2003. The Burbank Studios 2D departments closed at the end of 2002 following completion of Home on the Range. As a kid, I used to watch Home on the Range, like, a lot. Same. Especially in, like, long road trips, like, um... Okay, why did we have similar childhoods, then? Because we, we grew up very similar. 
Yeah. But, like, we would drive down to Mexico as a little kid, and that was the only DVD we had in our car, and we had one of those cars. We didn't have the fancy car that had the DVD Mm-mm. come down off, like, the DVD Same. player that came off the the roof. We had the ones with the with them in the heads. Oh, no, I didn't even have that. I had the ones, like, the, like, little, like, portable ones. The laptop player, Not yeah. Not the laptop player, but, like, the small, like, yeah. I guess, like, Yeah, the lap player. One, but, yeah. 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 I just think of we a laptop ha- well, being, like, computer. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I meant, like, the lap, like, yeah, the player that you sits meant. in your lap. Yeah, okay. Um, but, yeah, we had we had one of the ones that had the, like, TVs in the headrest of the back yeah. seats. Um, we didn't buy it. We, like, bought it from my aunt, who got it for us when we were little. Okay. So we would drive a lot down and watch Home on the Range every single time. I feel like it was and so by like the end of it, Home on the Range or like The Little Mermaid. Yes, us. that is exactly what it was. It was either Home on the Range or Little Mermaid. And then Beauty and the Beast yeah. and Lion King were like at home. We didn't watch Beauty and the Beast that much, but Lion King definitely. Yeah. Meanwhile, hand-drawn feature animation production continued at the Feature Animation Florida studio, where the films could be produced at lower costs. So, Lilo and Stitch became the studio's first bona fide hit since Tarzan upon its summer 2002 release, earning $273 million worldwide against an $80 million production budget. Yes, and the Florida studio completed Brother Bear, which did not perform as well as Lilo and Stitch, critically or financially. Disney announced the closing of the Florida studio on January 12, 2004. Yeah, and it closed despite Brother Bear's also fire Phil Collins soundtrack. Yes, On My Way. Yes, it has yes. literally been stuck in my head all day. Same. I cannot stop singing it. I've listened to it probably ten times yeah, today. Same. Yeah. Um... So just after Brother Bear's November 2003 release, feature animation chairman Roy E. Disney had resigned from the Walt Disney Company, launching with business partner Stanley Gold a second external Save Disney campaign, similar to the one that had forced Ron Miller out in 1984. This time, it was to force out Michael Eisner. Yes. In 2005, Disney released its first fully computer-animated feature film, Chicken Little. Which was was another one I used to watch at home all the time. Same. That was the first place that I, that was the first time, or the first thing that showed me Elton John's Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Don't Go Breaking My Heart. That's where I knew that from. Um, Later that year, after two years of Roy E. Disney's Save Disney campaign, Eisner announced that he would resign and named Bob Iger, then president of the Walt Disney Company, Mm. his successor as chairman and CEO. And on January 24th, 2006, Disney announced that it would acquire um, Pixar for $7.4 billion in an all-stock deal. In 2007, Lasseter renamed Walt Disney Feature Animation to to Walt Disney Animation Studios and repositioned the studio as an animation house that produced both traditional and computer-animated films. Yes. The studio released Meet the Robinsons in 2007, which was its second all-CGI film, earning $169.3 million worldwide. I also feel like I watched this movie a lot growing up as a kid. I didn't watch that one as much. You that see, one used to freak me out. I remember you could meet the bowler hat guy at 
Epcot. Yeah, we didn't have that here. Yeah, we had the bowler hat guy meeting at Epcot. And it was a really creepy costume. You should look yeah. it up. It's I'm sure. Creepy. I think I've seen pictures. It is weird. Um, Bolt was released in 2008 and had the best critical reception of any Disney animated feature since Lilo and Stitch. And Bolt was also fire. Yes. Bolt was so I'm good. I'm sorry. Miley it Cyrus. Miley Cyrus. John Travolta. I was about to say, I think John Travolta animated, or was the voice of the dog. He was. He was the voice of Bolt. I can't remember anything else about that movie. No, except, except for, the for When the Miley studio Cyrus. burned down. Yeah, same. Except for Miley That's Cyrus voicing, or vo- voicing the owner of John Travolta of dog. Bolt. Yeah. Oh, and there was a hamster and a cat. Yeah. Mittens. That's all Mittens I remember. Was the cat's name. Mittens. There we go. That's all we remember of that movie. I need to watch it again. Same. I will. Eventually. Will. The Princess and the Frog 2009 was loosely based on the fairy tale The Frog Prince and directed by Ron Clemens and John Musker was the studio's first hand-drawn animated film in five years. My girl, Rapunzel, you know I love her. Tangled was released in 2010 and the film earned $592 million in worldwide box office revenue, becoming the studio's third most successful release to date. Yes. And the hand-drawn feature Winnie the Pooh followed in 2011 and Wreck-It Ralph was released in 2012. Mm-hmm. In addition, the studio won its first Academy Award for a short film in 44 years with Paper Man. And Paperman utilized new software developed in-house at the studio called Meander. Meander. Yeah. At the studio called Meander, which merges hand-drawn and computer animation techniques within the same character to create a unique hybrid. In 2013, the studio laid off nine of its hand-drawn animators. And that same year, Frozen was released. This led to the speculation that the studio was abandoning all traditionally hand-drawn animation. This was dismissed by the studio, and Frozen was the first Disney film to gross dollars in the billions, with a B. With a B. Billion. The studio's next feature, Big Hero 6. I love Big Hero 6. Love Big Hero 6. A CGI comedy adventure film inspired by the Marvel Comics series of the same name was released in November 2014. For the first time, the studio developed a new lighting rendering software called Hyperion, which the studio continued to use on all subsequent films. Yeah. And then in March of 2016, the studio released Zootopia, which feels like it was so long. Yeah, like, I, I feel like Zootopia just came out. And that, yeah, no. Same with the next one, like, which I actually got yeah. this top to do a um, Disney bound for her, and I never Cute. have. Cute. And then my other girl, Moana, she was released in November of 2016. Yes. Both of those feel like they just came out, like, two years ago. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. So then on June 8th of 2018, Lasseter renou- announced his resignment. And then on June 28th of 2018, the studio's division, Disney Toon Studios, was shut down, resulting in the layoffs of 75 animators and staff. On October 23rd of 2018... It was announced that Ed Catmull would be retiring at the end of the year, and he would stay as a su- advisor role until July of 2019. And then in November of 2018, the studio released a sequel to Wreck-It Ralph titled Ralph Breaks the Internet. That also felt like that just came out. Yeah. Like, I swear, that came out, like, last year. Yeah, and it came out four years ago. No way. That came out last year. What are you talking about? 
That's weird. It feels so bizarre. Yeah. Um, Frozen 2 was released in November 2019 and was the highest grossing animated film of all time. In December 2020, the studio announced that it was expanding to, into producing television series. Most of the projects are in development for the Disney Plus streaming service. Among the series being produced include Baymax, a spinoff of Big Hero 6, a TV anthology called Zootopia Plus, set in the Zootopia universe, which sounds like the Muppet Plus or whatever, Muppet Now, whatever it's called, thing that mm -hmm. they have. A TV adaption of Moana, and a series called Tiana, featuring the lead character from The Princess and the Frog. Raya. Yeah, and then on February 25th of 2020, um, Bob Chapek took over uh, Bob Iger's role as CEO of Disney. And from what I've seen on the internet, people are none too happy about this. Because mm -mm. he's made some changes that people do not like. Just no tea, no shade. No. But a little bit of tea and a little bit of shade. Um, <laughs> Just a little bit. Yes. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Another new favorite of mine, Raya and the Last Dragon, a CG fantasy f adventure film, was released in 2021. In 2020, Disney returned to hand-drawn animation, having released the hand-drawn at-home-with-Olaf web short Ice, and set to release three hand-drawn animated Goofy shorts for Disney+, Plus, which I'm pretty sure one of them was recently released. Yeah, I think so. You were just mentioning it. Yeah, I don't know what it's called, but I do know I saw Goofy holding a mask. Like a face mask. Like a COVID okay, mask. Okay, well, we'll see about that. Yeah. As well as a hand-drawn animated short circuit called, titled Dinosaur Barbarian. Yes, and then on August 4th, 2021, it was reported that Disney Animation was opening a new animation studio in Vancouver. Operations at the Vancouver studio will start in 2022 with former Disney Animation finance lead Amir Nasrabadi. I think I said that right. I think you did too. <laughs> yes, I got one. <laughs> Serving as head for the studio. So these, so. so what I was thinking of, I don't think is it because it seems like it's one minute to like five minute shorts and it looks mm -hmm. like there's four of them already and it's mm -hmm. called how, um, Goofy and How to Stay at Home. So, holy smokes. <laughs> That's a lot. Yes. I thought that the Pixar history was long. I know. But before we go, let's talk about some of our opinions on some of the earlier films. Yes, more specifically, these are going to be the films from around 1937 to around 1960-ish. Yes. Um, so, it'll be, we'll be really talking about, like, Snow White, Pinocchio, Dumbo, the package films, ick, um, <laughs> Cinderella, Lady and the Trip, Peter Pan, and Alice in Wonderland. Yes. So, thoughts? I mean, you probably know which one of those, those ones are my, is my favorite. I actually don't. Really? Yeah, I actually don't. I want you to guess. I want to say Alice in Wonderland, but I think it would be Lady and the Tramp. No. Really? Yes. I literally cosplay a character from this movie. <laughs> Bro, I don't keep... Oh, it's Peter Pan. I'm stupid. <laughs> I cosplay Woody I'm Darling. <laughs> that was dumb. That was a dumb <laughs> answer. I wasn't thinking... <laughs> 
<laughs> um, can you guess my favorite? I don't know why, but I'm like leaning toward like Cinderella or Lady and the Tramp. You right. Both of those. <laughs> it's Lady. Out of those, yeah. yeah, Lady and the Tramp is definitely one of my faves. Cinderella is fantastic. I've watched it like three times in the last few months. You see, I remember. All of the package films. Oh, the package films. No. Are garbage. No. Hey, we have a ride based on the Three Caballeros over here. That's like the only good thing to come out of the package yes, films. And there's talks that they're gonna get rid of it soon. Well, no. not get rid of it, but change it. No, what are they going to change it to? Coco. Coco. I just realized, I was like, oh, it's Coco. Yes, um, what else would it be? I don't know. It's because nobody knows where the three caballeros are anymore. Well, they know it from the parks. No. D- no? Disney, Disney Jr. loves to have the three caballeros in, like, everything. Oh, okay. I, I babysit well, kids Well, there you go. For, well, one of my two jobs, I babysit kids. Well, Okay, so. I'm wrong then, I guess. Yeah. They used to not be anywhere for a long time. No, like, uh, Mickey Mouse and the Roadster Racers, they specifically use the three caballeros a lot. A lot. That but that's new. That's, like, relatively new. Yeah, that show came out, like, 2017, 2018, somewhere in there. Yeah. There was, like, a good chunk of, like, probably 40 years yes. where nobody knew who the three but caballeros were. But then we got were. DuckTales and Mickey's Roadster Racers back again. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I think I think it's very funny that in Brazil, um, Jose Carioca, who is the little green yeah. uh, parrot, for those of you who don't know, um, but Jose Carioca, he's like more famous than Mickey Mouse. Like in Brazil, he's like on everything. That's he's funny. on like, even in Mexico, even in Mexico, he's on like ketchup on Mex- in Mexico. Like I've bought ketchup in Mexico with Jose Carioca That's on it. Crazy. And I'm like, why? That is crazy. Yeah. They just love him. They're, like, obsessed with him in Brazil. He's oh. on everything. Like, packages, all the stuff. That's very yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah. I love and that. And, I mean, of course, but the like, Caballero's ride has had a lot of things going wrong wrong with it recently. Those oh, animatronics yeah. at the end keep breaking, and they replace them with cardboard cutouts at one point. I saw that. I remember going back after, like, that had happened, and it hadn't come out that they had officially switched all the animatronics back and i was like oh you're back you're not they're not cardboard anymore (laughs) yeah it was funny yeah the nice thing about the package films though is that there were a few very famous shorts to come out of the package films like um mickey and the beanstalk yes and i honestly consider fantasia one of the package honestly but like also like is the mickey prince and the pauper a package film? No. 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 I thought it was. Never mind. No. Um, but, like, um, just from Fantasia, right, we have, which I consider a package film, even though it's not technically a package we have film. I think it is, because it's a bunch of shorts. As yeah. Kingdom Keeper, There's Turnabog. Well, Kingdom Keeper's fans know Turnabog. He's the main villain in the shows. Or yeah. in the book. Because the it, book. Yeah. It hasn't been yeah. made into a show yet. It's supposed to be. It's- There's rumors. <laughs> I will fight. The savagery. I will fight until yeah. we get it. But yeah, we got we got the segment with Chernabog at the very end. Um, and then there, which is, what is that one called? It's, uh, uh, I, I don't, don't remember. know. I can... And then there's Sorcerer Mickey, oh, which yeah. is also super I famous. I kind of forgot that that's technically part of a package film. It is. It's part of Fantasia. And then we got, um, oh, what's Bald the one? Mountain. The one... 
for yes that for Chernabog. Yeah. yeah and then there's the one with all of the centaur ladies i don't know why i'm like pressing on my eyebrows like i'm cruella deville right now but um also 101 dalmatians i don't think i've ever seen it before and it quickly became one of my favorite films like you in don't one think watch you've i was ever like seen it why? As I was watching it, I was like, I don't remember any of this. I don't recognize a bit of this. You see, my sister was in the kids' version of 101 Dalmatians at our local mm-hmm. um, school, like, at our local children's theater. So I know, oh. like, everything about it. So when Corella was making very mm-hmm. minor, like, detail stuff about 101 Dalmatians, I was like, I know where that's from. Yeah, no. Like, Canine Crunchies. The- I I just figured that out. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've seen think The it's... Adventures of um, Ichabod and Mr. Toad. That one's cute, kind of. It's a little bit different from the other package films in that it's two longer stories. Okay. Same with um, Fun and Fancy Free. That's two longer ones. It's Mickey and the Beanstalk and um, Bongo the Bear. Yeah. I'm looking which at is um, list of the ones. list. Yeah. Yeah. Bongo the Bear is weird. I did not like that one. But Making the Beanstalk is kind of cute. Yeah. So, like, I gave that movie, like, a, like a B. Um, it also has the um, Pecos Bill short, which is what um, a dining location in Magic Kingdom is based, is named after. It has, it has what? I, it's called P-E-C-O-S Bill. Picosville. Picosville. Yeah, yeah, it's based after, after Picos Bill. Yes. Yeah, who is a, who was a, um, what's it called? He was like a, like a cowboy. He was a cowboy in the West. Wait, It's a very we, cute story. The... Johnny and... Sleepy Hollow? Yeah, that, that's not what I was gonna say. Hold on. Oh. But yeah, Pico's Bill is a very cute story. It's basically about how Texas was created and Pico's Bill made Texas. It's very cute, very Southern. Um, so, to answer my question... No, this is not where we get Johnny Appleseed. Though that short was made in 1948 by Disney. Oh, it is part of it. It's it part was of in Melody a package t- film. Time. It's part of... No, not Melody Time. According to this, it's part of Melody Time. You're right. You're right. It is Melody Time. I'm getting them mixed up. I'm getting Make My Music and Melody Time flipped. Because in Make My Music, it's like 10, like, three-minute shorts. That one I did not watch. Because I didn't want to pay for it. <laughs> But Melody Time is also very cute. You got Johnny Appleseed and, oh, what else is it? It's been so long since so I watched it. And Melody it's Time, so unmemorable. Once Upon a Winter Time, hold on. Oh, yes, the winter one, Once Upon a Winter. That one's kind of cute. Yeah. That was kind of cheesy. Boogie. Oh, yes, that one's the one with the bee. Little Toot. Oh, yes, that one's very cute. That one has the Andrews sisters. They sing the song of Little Toot, and he's a tiny little tugboat. It's very cute. <laughs> oh god that one's awful i skipped it <laughs> it's literally a poem for it's like a five minute poem and it's just like animated drawings of trees it's it's awful <laughs> i'm sorry it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful somebody's favorite short out there is gonna be trees and they're gonna be like hey but <laughs> Blame i'm telling you Samba. it's not good that one's cute that one's got his jose karaoke oh wait no it doesn't it's the it's, dining it's, sisters uh, okay yes it does and Ethel Smith. That one's got Jose Carioca in it as well. Okay. And it's got Donald and um, the one annoying bird. I can't remember what you it's see, called. The annoying bird I immediately thought of is one from a 90s animated film. So, not that. 
No, it's like a little red bird, and it's, it sings the same song over and over again. It's in Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros. And then Blue Shadows on the Trail, besides, like, Johnny Appleseed and the Pecos Bill. Pecos Bill. Yeah. Blue Shadows on the Trail. I can't remember what that one is. Oh, no. Blue. Oh, that one's the live-action one. That's the live-action one with all the cowboys sitting around the campfire, and then Johnny Appleseed, and then Pecos Bill. Okay. I think. Yes. I could be yes. wrong, but I think that's what it is. Um, but yes, it was very cute. I do like Pecos Bill. I liked Johnny Appleseed. I liked a good majority of them. I loved... The Skip d- trees. <laughs> I remember Johnny Appleseed out of any of them. Yeah. Oh, the Lord is good to me. Yeah. Okay. Let me tell you something about Pinocchio. It was I think it's just thing. okay. It, it scared me as a child. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pleasure Island? Yeah, him turning into a donkey. That's terrifying. No. And what are... Okay, okay. You know when they're on Pleasure Island, and then there's those, like, mysterious little, like, black, like, hooded figures that just, like, close the doors and then just disappear? But we (laughs) are getting a remake of Pinocchio. I was looking at the cast, though, and it's, like, actually pretty good, and I forget who's in this cast. But Pinocchio is so boring. I did not like that movie at all. I watched it again for the first time in ages. I don't think I've... I, don't, I think that's another one I haven't seen, like, ever. And, gosh, that one is not good. So, Tom Hanks is going to be playing Geppetto. Of course. Benjamin Answorth is going to be Pinocchio. Cynthia okay. Erivo as the Blue Fairy. Luke Evans okay. as the coachman, the owner of an operator of Pleasure Island. Um, mm-hmm. Joseph Gordon-Levitt um, is Jiminy Cricket. Keegan-Michael... I love that. Yes. Keegan-Michael Key is Honest John Worthington F- Foulfellow, the deceptive, dishonest, greedy, illiterate, and um, poor... Lord! Red Fox and main antagonist to Khan's Pinocchio. His name is like this <laughs> Yes. And then... That's another thing. Lorraine um, Braco as Sophia the Seagull. That's who's been announced so far. Who? I don't know. Who's the seagull? What seagull? <laughs> There's no seagull in that movie. I don't know. Okay, I was gonna say that's the other thing about that movie. Why are Honest John and whatever his name is the only two like, like wolves? animals? Yeah, they're cats. But like, why are why are everybody else is humans and they're animals? Why? <laughs> that makes no sense to me. Like it's not a good movie. It also, no who's the seagull? Who's the seagull? Oh, it's a There's new character no that they're making for the live action. This is ridiculous. <laughs> what I want to know is who's gonna play Cleo? Who's gonna play Figaro? That's who I care about. Can we talk yeah. about how they've made Minnie's um, cat named Figaro since Pinocchio? Yeah, they want it to be the same cat. Why? I don't know. I don't see any reason also, to. Also, Luke Evans it's... in this movie? That might be pretty good. It might be worth a watch. I don't know how I feel about yeah. it yet. We'll see. Another one of these that I used to watch all the dang time was Dumbo. Yeah, Dumbo used to be my favorite. I still have the VHS in my garage. I watched Dumbo 24-7 all the time, and it's fantastic because it's only an hour long. I kind of forgot that. Also, 
I did not know that that's where the Casey Jr. Circus ta- train yeah. came from. Did not know that. You see, we just have a giant Dumbo section in Magic Kingdom. So we got, like, Dumbo, like, shoved in the back, and then the Casey Jr. Circus train comes tooting around in the back, and, like, that's it. They're, like, they're, they're like the kid rides. It's, it's fine. I still go on them, even though I am 20 years old. <laughs> um, let's see. And then, of um, course, the only one we really Cinderella. haven't talked about are our two princesses on this list. I know. Which, one of two, is my mom's favorite Disney princess. Really? Yes. Wow. Being I mean, Snow White. Hmm. She has a lot of Snow yeah, White and we, stuff. Yeah, we don't really see too much of Snow White in the park. We have the Wishing Well, and then we have Snow White's Fountain. And then we also have Snow White's Scary Adventure. You guys have Mine Train, though, so... Yeah, we got rid of Snow White's Scary Adventure for Mine Train. They re- just redid Scary Adventure, yes. though, and it's, like, totally different now, I guess. I didn't get a chance to go on it because the lines were showed, insane. I uh, know that they actually show, like, Snow White waking up from the curse rather than Kiss leaning down, and then she's riding off on a horse. Because <sighs> that's how ours was. So they okay. actually show, like, her waking up that's as he cool. leans down. Yeah, um, That's cute. Um, at the end of Mine Train, you see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs dancing in their cottage. And as you mm-hmm. drive by to, like, go to the unloading zone, you can see the witch. Like, the evil queen mm-hmm. witch form there. And it's the yeah. original animatronic from our scary adventure is now yeah. locked there. Yeah, I did hear that. I did hear that when yeah. um, the podcast I was listening to was talking about it. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And then Cinderella for us is like very popular over everywhere. Here. Yeah, like, I'm gonna guess like, like Aurora is over there nowhere. for you. Really? No. Really? Yeah. I, I just assumed that it was like that for you over. <laughs> nope. Yeah, but we have. Let's see. So much Cinderella. We have instead of I. I think your carousel is Mary Poppins, right? No, no, ours is King Arthur's King Arthur. carousel. Ours is yeah, so Sword Prince in the Stone. Charming's carousel. I did know that, yeah. And I also knew that um, you guys used to have King Stephen's Royal Dining Hall in the castle for a long time. Why? But it got changed. Yeah, to Cinderella's Royal Table. Yeah. And then the Cinderella Suite. But it used to be suite. King Stephen's. Yeah. Of course, like the famous Cinderella Suite. Which I need to get Same. it. I need to win. I need Same. to, I need, I need that. Yes. Um, and then we have, like, a small little fountain. I have a picture in front of it. And it's super cute. Um, if you're, like, child height or, like, kneeling down, it looks like Cinderella's wearing a crown. But if you're, like, at adult height, it looks like that she's, like, sadly singing to the birds. So it's, like, mm-hmm. that forced perspective kind of thing. It's really cool. Yeah. And then we also have, I mean, the stepsisters and stepfamily meeting all the time yeah, over here. Same. Um, and, I mean, I think... The one Cinderella thing we have is probably the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique. Yeah, we have like three of those. Wait. You got three? Two? We have one. Two. Two or three. No, two. Because there's one in Magic Kingdom and then one in Disney Springs. Yeah, we got one. And it's only in Fantasyland. Yeah. And that's it. That's like the only Cinderella and then you get. At the Grand Floridian Hotel, which is like right next to the Magic Kingdom. They have mm-hmm. a character breakfast that's, like, Winnie, Winnie the Pooh and Mary Poppins and Alice in Wonderland. But then at night, it is Cinderella's Prince, Cinderella, one of the mice, 
I think it's the girl mouse. That's cute. It's the pink one with the bonnet. She has a name. I think it's like Susie. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then the step family. And sometimes fairy godmother meets. She's That's cute. rare. We do have fairy godmother here rarely. Yeah, I feel like uh, fun... we have her more than you, but yeah. Probably. Here's a fun little thing. On my 16th birthday, me and my friends were walking through Tomorrowland and fairy godmother was like headed out to like for her break or whatever. And I like stopped her and I was like, fairy godmother, fairy godmother, it's my birthday. Can we please take a picture together? And we took a quick little uh-huh. selfie, which I'll have Emma put here. Yes. It's very cute. Yes. And she was like, only for you, dear, because it's your birthday. But I can't stop. We can't yes. have a crowd forming, dear. And I said, of course. And so we just went, ding, ding, ding. And then she walked away and I was like, thank you. And she was like, yeah. happy birthday. And, and like, that was it. <laughs> and also right now, at least the last time I went to Magic Kingdom, which was like, not gonna lie, like, my birthday, so, like, February, they had, mm-hmm. um, like, a replica of Cinderella's carousel, or, not carousel, um, carriage. Carriage? That's cool. Um, and I have a picture of it that I'll place right here. Wee. Um. I also know that if you do a Disney fairy tale wedding, that there is an option yes. for Cinderella's carriage at both parks. Yes. Which, honestly, worth it. Oh, Yeah. I don't care. It's yeah, so worth it for get, me. We don't like, at any Aurora at all. Yeah, we don't either. Yeah. There is nothing. The only thing is the Sleeping Beauty castle walkthrough. Which we don't even have a castle walkthrough because it's mostly just the royal dining table restaurant mm-hmm. and then the suite. But when you're walking, like, under, like, where the, um, entrance to magic or to fantasy land is through like the mm-hmm. like main archway of the castle rather than going around to get to fantasy land mm-hmm. there's like a mosaic of the cinderella story and it starts off with like made cinderella with the stepsisters then it has the ball then it has um the stepmother and the stepsisters watching like cinderella get the shoe put on her and then it's the wedding that's cute yeah. and it's like really Very pretty cute. did you know I have a fun fact with Alice, but it goes back to Peter Pan. Alice and Wendy are voiced by the same actress. I did know that. Yes. I actually did know that. It's like my favorite also, little fun fact that I have. That is, a, that is a great one. Alice in Wonderland, we don't really have either. Like, all we have is oh, the Mad we, Tea Party. We have a whole section that's Alice in Wonderland. We also we have, have like, like, in the UK pavilion, um, the, like, little tea shop, um, slash like where Alice meets looks like mm-hmm. the um one of the cottages in the movie. That's cute. Yeah, because we have we have Mad Tea Party right here. Yeah. And then we have Alice and Wonderland the Dark Ride right here. And then right behind them, in between them, is um the Mad Hatter's hat shop and that's where you can get like ears and hats and like there's a ton of stuff in there. And it's all themed Alice and like that whole little area all has like Alice themed. It's really cute. They have like a giant mushroom house. Yeah. It's really cute. Trying to find a picture Um, of Alice meet and greet. I'm trying to think about Lady and the Tramp stuff. I love that. We don't really have anything Lady and the Tramp at the parks like except for like. see it in the background of this picture. But yeah, there's the cottage slash tea shop in the UK pavilion. Yeah. It looks like the one that she breaks if for the audio listeners, like, when she grows, like, three sizes. Yeah. That one. When she breaks the rabbit's yes. house. That's what it looks like. Except for the rabbit's house is, like, bright pink. And they were like, mm, let's not make it bright pink. Yeah. Which is, I think, a smart yeah. move. 
look very um, out of place in the UK pavilion to have a bright pink oh, yeah. building. Which I'm mad that yeah. we... So we were supposed to get something. I know it's not like one of these films. But we were supposed to get Cherry Tree Lane in the UK pavilion. And then that was one of the things scrapped when construction had to be halted due to COVID. Bummer. I'm so That's sad. Annoying. But yeah, I think this is a... Yes, I do too. Hey guys, so it's Editor Gabby. Um, We had a bit of a snafu with Emma's audio for the episode that was supposed to come out this week. So what we ended up doing is we are posting the episode that was supposed to come out next week um, while we're trying to fix that audio issue. So... I have to do the outro by myself because the outro that we originally recorded is now inaccurate. So bear with me here, guys. I'm going to try my best to get this right, but (laughs) if I don't, please forgive me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fan Fatales. Next week, we're going to be talking about musicals that were turned into movies, and we're going to be giving them an overall review. We're going to talk a little bit about the characters and about the story and just what we thought of these movies. Um, It's also going to include some spoilers, so be warned about that. Remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And remember to subscribe to us on YouTube if you're watching us there. Please leave us a review and comment down below to tell us what you think of the show. Remember to follow us on Instagram at FanFatalesPod for the latest updates and to possibly be featured in a future episode. You can find Emma on social media on Instagram and TikTok, both at SnippyEmma. That's S-N-I-P-P-Y-E-M-M-A. I'm at GabbyGent on Instagram, TikTok, and now Twitter. That's G-A-B-Y-J-E-N-T. Our music is by our amazing friend Maddie Macon, and our editing this week was done by me. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye.